Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. Metro exists to exalt God and equip people. Here at Metro, we long to become a community that celebrates the presence of God, communicates the Word of God, demonstrates the love of God, and educates the people of God. Everything we do revolves around this core mission and vision. We are so glad you are here today to listen to this week's podcast. It is our prayer that this message encourages you and equips you to be like Christ in all aspects of your life. Enjoy today's message. What a joy to be in the house of God this morning, church, and uh, to begin a new month and a new series. And uh, we haven't chosen any particular theme this month, but nonetheless, we would like to share as the Lord's Spirit uh, reminds us to share with the church what needs to be shared. Amen. We're so delighted that you could come this morning, uh, and I see um, several of you with your mask on. Sometimes it's very difficult to know who you are, but we know for sure. <laughs> by, by this time, we know who you are. But we want to say, once again, welcome. For the Vincian family, they were supposed to be here. I don't know, whether, are they here? He was, okay. They went to, he went to India for his mother's funeral. He's back, uh, God kept him safe, throughout, granted him travel mercies. We thank God for that, and others as well. <clears throat> Church, uh, allow me this morning to share with you um, from a very familiar scripture passage from the Gospel of John, chapter 2. The moment I say chapter 2, you may already think what the storyline is, isn't it? It's about a wedding. Wedding seasons are important, beautiful seasons, isn't it? We all love to, we all love to be in weddings. If you get invited for marriages, it's, it's a good time. It's a good time. Uh, I know the month of June is when my brother got married, and uh, it's been 21 years, and the Lord has been faithful in their life. Uh, so come, let's turn uh, to the Gospel of John. We all know that uh, there are four Gospels um, that we have in the New Testament of the 27 books. Unlike the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Gospel of John is a little unique, a little distinct. Therefore, Matthew, Mark, and Luke is considered to be the synoptic Gospels. Samantra Suvisheshangal. Because there are so many things, so many stories that are, that are similar to in all those three Gospels. When it comes to John, John has so much of unique stuff, so much of unique stories. Even the wedding at Cana is only found where? In the Gospel of John. And John has so many discourses that we find. In most probability, John's Gospel is a Gospel that was written after AD 70. After AD 70 means, AD 70 is such an important time in the history of the nation of Israel because Israel got defeated and the temple in Jerusalem was completely destroyed by the Romans. So this is the only gospel that comes to us probably written after AD 70, between AD 70 and 100. And we know, we know from within internal sources and external sources that this gospel was written by a disciple of Jesus Christ who is already identified in the gospel as the beloved disciple. And we know his name is John, the son of Zebedee. A brief introduction. Most of the gospel writers, of course, Matthew and Mark, we don't find clear-cut um, purpose statement that they write. But Luke does give us his purpose statement, why he's writing the gospel. But John is the only one who gives us very crystal clear purpose statement. Can anyone say, which, what, where do you find his purpose statement? Now, you are all believers for many, many years, isn't it? You have probably read the Gospel of John several times. You should know by this time what is the purpose statement of John. Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 31. 
Some of you may be thinking, Pastor, don't kiss us on Sunday morning, 9 a.m., you know. Um, John says, these things are written. We have so many things to write, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and then you will continue to believe. Not just that you have believed once, but you will continue to believe. So that is his purpose statement. So when you read the Gospel of John, keep that always in your mind. Every miracle which he considers as sign, he's the only one who considers all the miracles that he mentions, seven of them, he considers them as signs, Simeon. Because he knows that these miracles are not complete in themselves. All these miracles are pointing to something else. It is pointing to the glory of Jesus. It is pointing to the fact that who Jesus is. So keep that purpose statement of John in your mind because in Gospel of John chapter 2, verses 1 onwards as you read, verse 11 also gives you the same purpose statement. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him believed in him. A beautiful story. You may have, you may have per perhaps read this story several times. This whole week I got to read this story several times. And as I'm reading each time, you know, I'll tell you honestly, I got to at least make three sermons out of this passage. And I don't have the time to share all those three sermons. And I've already shared from this passage several times in several weddings. And every time you're sharing, you're preparing a message for a wedding, you read this passage, something new is emerging. And that's the beauty of God's word. That it continues to speak to you. It is unlike any storybook, any, any novel that you read. One time you read, you're done with it. You don't want to read it again. But you come to God's word, it, has, it speaks to you every time you open it up and you read. So I encourage you once again to continue to be in God's word, to engage yourself in God's word. You know... Weddings are good. I, as I was telling you, my brother's wedding 21 years ago, I still remember a caterer, his name is Vima Catering. He had just returned back from Gulf, a young man. He was setting up his catering business and he came to our house uh, <clears throat> and he told my dad, you know, very, very rarely you find some things because he's setting up his business. He wanted to get business and we had about 800 plus people coming for the wedding. This was the first wedding in our family, you know, all of our family members are Hindus, even now. And uh, they, this was the first time they were all going to be invited for a Christian wedding, primarily a Pentecostal wedding. And they all were excited. Of 800 plus people uh, from my, my brother, sister-in-law's family, only 30 to 40 people came. So the rest of the, all the guests were from our side of the family. So this guy comes to our house and he says, um, you know, uh, I will give, I'll, get, I'll, the, I'll do the catering for you. And uh, he said, we will give you fried rice and chicken curry. Now, fried rice and chicken curry at that point was pretty common. And uh, it was about 50, 50 rupees per plate. But you know, this is what the deal he made. He said, I will give you fried rice and chicken curry for the wedding unlimited. Now, that's not a promise that so many caterers would make. Unlimited. And then, as a token, he just got one rupee from my dad. My dad was willing to give him money, like, say, 10,000, take... At least, he said, no, one rupee. He took as token. He said, if I don't live up to my expectation, you don't have to give me anything. Wow, you cannot, you cannot say no to that offer, isn't it? <laughs> so the wedding came and uh, you know, the wedding happened and as to his word, word of promise, he kept it up. 
800 plus of my, our relatives, they all came. They all enjoyed fried rice and chicken curry. Normally, you know, as Hindus, you always have a vegetarian meal for a wedding. So this time it was non-veg, pure non-veg, and they all enjoyed. Even today, when they talk about the wedding, you know, any time they talk, some of the relatives or some of the friends who came for the wedding, they say, man, we ate, that was the first time in our life that we ate so much of chicken. Later on, we came to know about stories of people who might have sat there and ate probably two chicken. <laughs> because it was unlimited. And you know, the guy came later and told me, I never anticipated that, even if for, for his word, he kept his word, but he never anticipated that that would be the expense that he would take. Because people were just eating and eating and eating. So that wedding is still known to all our friend circle, our family circle, as the marriage of the unlimited chicken. <laughs> Look at this wedding. Look at this wedding. First century context. You must think this in terms of the first century context. To run out of a, a very important ingredient in a marriage is not at all good. It's not good. It's a matter of shame, especially in a culture of shame and honor. It's a matter of shame. But this is the context in which we find ourselves. And now you read verse 11. This is the first of his signs. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. This morning, church, allow me to share with you something that the Lord has impressed upon my heart. Jesus manifesting his glory. Jesus manifesting his glory. First and foremost, this is something that we, you, you and I need to understand is this. That it is only God who can manifest his glory. You and I can never manufacture his glory. You and I can never manufacture his glory. It is God's prerogative to demonstrate, to manifest, to disclose his glory. Ask the people of Israelites. They would tell you a story from their history books. They will say, one time we decided to create the glory of God. We wanted, to, we wanted to capture a replica of who God is. I'm talking about Exodus chapter 32. They wanted to create the glory of God. What did they do? They ended up with a cheap imitation of who God is. At Mount Sinai, they were given the commandment, you shall not have any other God. You shall not make any images of God. Why? Because you cannot comprehend your holy God. You cannot comprehend his glory. You cannot do that. Knowing that, God had just given the commandment, and they entered into the covenant. You know, they ratified the covenant. Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to receive the tablets from God, and here the people have already broken loose, and they make what? A golden calf. They said, this is the God who saved you out of Egypt. And you know the story how it ended. So many people had to die. Church, God shows up. God shows up. He reveals his glory at his appointed timetable, at his appointed time. You and I can never, can never manufacture his glory. But you and I can only say, Lord, we want to experience your glory. We want to enjoy your glory. We want to bask in your glory. We want to receive the glory. That's all you and I can say. And when we have that atmosphere, God does reveal his glory. In this, in this whole gospel of John, several times you will find that. And that's exactly in the context when Jesus is saying to his mother, woman, what does this have to do with you and me? My hour has not come. In this very gospel, if you read several times, you will come across the story that his hour is not yet here because the hour of his glorification, the hour of his manifesting his glory is not yet here. Something that you and I need to remember is this. 
Every time Jesus speaks about his hour, it is in context of his death, his resurrection. His death and his resurrection. So something, glory has to do something with his death and his resurrection. Secondly, we must also understand that Messiah's glory comes only from God, not from people. So whenever we want to receive the glory, it cannot be. It only comes from God. And thirdly, the timetable is always God's timetable. He shows up. He shows up. Sometimes you begin to see he sometimes creates and orchestrates everything in such a beautiful manner that he shows up and reveals his glory. When I started thinking about this passage again and again, reading that passage, verse 11, that he revealed his glory, few things that the Lord's Spirit impressed upon me, let me share. Number one, what is his glory that was revealed? What is his glory that was revealed? That God is merciful. God is merciful. God is possible. How do we see that? As I told, already told you, in a shame and honor culture that the, the first century Palestine was, or Israel was, the family is left to nothing. Why? Because this is a week-long celebration of wedding. Week-long celebration. It is the responsibility of the bridegroom. As he has already betrothed to his wife, he comes back home for the next six to one year. He prepares for the marriage. So what happened that the wine ran out? Probably more people turned up. You know how it goes in India, in the culture, isn't it? You go to and say to a family, you all should come. We are thinking maybe two people will come. Here, that's why they write it very clearly, isn't it? Only two are invited. Whether it's a family of six or eight, it's two is invited. But back in India, when you go and invite family, you are anticipating what? The entire family is going to? Probably then the whole town just showed up. Or probably they were not ready to feed that many people. They never anticipated. But listen to me this morning. God is merciful. Why? It was in a time of shame that Jesus exposed his glory by covering their shame. Jesus revealed his glory by covering their shame. And that's what I say, when God's glory is revealed, it's always revealed in a God who is merciful. Who's merciful. You know what happened in the Garden of Eden? Exactly the same thing. Genesis chapter 2 verse 25. A man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be one. The Bible says in Genesis 2 25, and they both were naked, but they were not. They were not ashamed. They were naked, but they were not ashamed. Why? Because they were created in the glory of God, and that in that glory there was no shame. But when sin happened, what happened? The canopy of the glory was ripped apart. And they started blaming each other. Every time in a marital relationship, blame goes. Why? Because sin enters there. Sin exposes us. Sin exposes us. We are covered in that glory, in that married state of innocence. But when we allow sin to come, sin just breaks loose. Hallelujah. It exposes us. And there's blame game going on in chapter 3. But then again, God does what? In chapter 3, he again covers them with his mercy. He again covers them with his mercy. What I'm telling you, church, is this. God is a merciful God. He saw what was this family was going to. Because this incident, as I told you, has been 21 years. My brother's marriage is still being remembered as a, as a marriage of the unlimited chicken. This, this marriage is going to go down in history as what? A marriage where we were invited and the most basic ingredient of the marriage was not there. The shame of the family is going to continue through generations. 
That story will continue perpetually to generations. Jesus is covering them with his glory. Church, this morning I'm telling you, I don't know what situation you are going through. Sometimes there may be a situation, hallelujah, that you, you need the glory of God to cover you. Maybe cover the shame that you've gone through. Maybe cover, hallelujah, because you need the mercy of God this morning. And he's faithful. He's faithful to come into your presence and cover you with his glory. Amen. Hallelujah. Secondly, this story also reminds you and me that God is mighty. God is mighty. Why? How do we know? He changed the composition of a simple water, H2O water, into much more complex wine. In other words, God is the author of the material universe. Pastor Linson was sharing this, mo- this morning as he opened up that each snowflake is what? It's unique. It, each of the snowflakes has an identity uniquely created by the Almighty God. And that's exactly what you see. Fill the jars with water. Fill the jars with water. And you find that what? That composition of that ordinary water is changed into something far more complex, into a wine. And that is blessing the hearts of the people who are gathered there. What is Jesus revealing himself? He's saying that God is mighty. Hallelujah. He's mighty to even order his created universe, the material universe, and bless you in abundance. Church, this morning, you and I need to understand that the God's glory, when it shows up, when God's glory shows up, he's proving himself to be mighty. Not just mighty, he's almighty. Amen? He controls the sun. He controls the moon. He can quell the storms of your life. He has a power to control the universe. And if he controls the universe, what is for him that he can change the composition of an ordinary water into something far more beautiful for the family? Amen? You know, when you read through the Old Testament... When you read through the the plagues that came upon the Egyptians, you begin to see how God orchestrated in in, in the atmosphere, God orchestrated in the nature, hallelujah, the miracles that happened there. And through that all, he was revealing himself that he's almighty. The first few of the plagues that came, the magicians also started what? Duplicating it. But then came a point that they could not duplicate anymore. They could not recreate anymore. Then they began to say, Pharaoh, this is indeed the finger of God. This is indeed the finger of God. Church, the glory of God is the revelation of his might, of his might. But that's not the only thing. Another thing that you and I find in the story is this. There is also a revelation of a God who is more than enough. More than enough. You know, when Jesus told the servants, what did he say? Fill the jars to the brim. (laughs) Already the water had been used in the jar. You know, probably they had been, that had been used for the ceremonial washing. You read that in the story. The guests have already come. Now we are towards the end, the fag end of seven days of marriage festivities. Probably you are now in the sixth day, or who knows, even on the seventh day. No longer they need what? No longer they need the water in the jar, the stone jars for ceremonial washings. But Jesus says, fill it to the brim. Not only to the brim, listen to what the banquet master says. You have kept the best even for, the, even for now. When God starts working and revealing his glory, it is more than enough. Can I give you an illustration from Old Testament? 2 Kings chapter 3, when you read a story, 2 Kings chapter 3, there is a beautiful story of three kings. The king of, 
the king of Israel, the king of Judah, and another king, they all three come to fight against Moab. And as they come, what happens? There, has, there is no water. Then Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah said, is there a prophet of God here? They said, yes, there is a prophet of God. They call him, his name is Elisha. He comes and he prophesies. And this is what he prophesies. You can turn to 2 Kings chapter 3. Read that passage because this is the God of the more than enough. Amen. This morning church, some of us need to see the glory of God because he is more than enough in all of our circumstances. He is more than enough in all of our situations. Hallelujah. No matter what the doctors may have said, no, ma no matter, hallelujah, what people may have said, but he is faithful. He is faithful. Now this is what he says. Ask the Lord of hosts, leaves, verse 14, before whom I stand. Thus says the Lord, I will make this dry stream bed full of pools. You shall not see wind or rain, but the stream bed shall be filled with water, so that you shall drink, you, your livestock, and your animals. But that's not enough. Verse 18. This is a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will also give the Moabites into your hands. What did they were asking for? They were only asking for water for their cattle. But what is God saying? Not just water for your cattle, but I'm going to give victory over your enemies. He's a God of the more than enough this morning, church. That's how he reveals his glory. But the most important thing is this, the disciples believed in him. Even for us today also, this story continues to bear witness to us. Why? Because this is a story of enduring belief. It continues to generate faith in us that my God, hallelujah, he can cover me with his mercy. My God, he's almighty. He can show up, hallelujah. And my God, he's more than enough for me in my circumstances. Church, when is this glory revealed? When is this glory revealed? Listen to the story again. When is this glory revealed? Number one, this, this, this glory is revealed when we invite Jesus into our presence. You know, the first story starts like this. Jesus was invited along with his disciples to the wedding. Probably by this time, Jesus had only a few disciples. If you go by Gospel of John chapter 1, this is the third day since he had met Nathaniel. All the 12 disciples are not there. Maybe four or five disciples are there. And Jesus had, Jesus had been invited. This, is a, this Cana is very close to Nazareth, where he, where he grew up. And probably this family was known to them. So Jesus had been invited to the wedding. And his mother was also there. He was invited to the wedding. So this family took special care to invite Jesus. And because they invited Jesus, at the point of the need, Jesus was able to rise up and reveal his glory. But there is another invitation in the story that you find. Where is that invitation? Where is that invitation? Verse 5. This is the invitation of Mary. This is the invitation of Mary to the servants. What is she saying? Do whatever he tells you. In other words, Mary is saying, can I tell you something? Can I tell you something? Look to him. Let not your eyes blink from not seeing Jesus. Why? Because whatever he says to you, just do it. In other words, Mary creates an atmosphere there of inviting Jesus into the lives of these servants. And I tell you, church, something. It was because of that invitation that Mary gave to the servants, they were able to see the glory of God. The bridegroom didn't see the glory of God. The banquet master didn't see the glory of God. The majority of the guests who came, they didn't see the glory of God. But the servants who drew the water knew the glory of God. And the disciples believed because they saw the glory of God. Church, our church must be, must be, and our, our, we all must be 
people who invite the presence of Jesus. Maybe it's sometimes it is church. You know, if we come to church, we need to be that invitational generation where we say, hey, I don't know about what is going on in your life, but can I tell you something? This morning, why don't you come with me? Let's go together. Let's seek because in his presence there is fullness. In his presence, he will show up and he will reveal his glory. All you and I need to do is just invite others to come. That's all. If you and I come with an expectation that God's glory can be revealed in my situation, in my condition, why don't we invite others also to come look to Jesus? Mary did that. She just, she just invited Jesus into the, into, into the lives of these servants. The glory is also revealed when there is a willingness to obey. You know, the disciples, they didn't ask anything. Who are you? Sometimes I read the story and you begin to see, you look at these, the most, the most unimportant things in the story is this, the stone jars, six stone jars, ordinary stone jars. Nobody's thinking about that. Even, you know, even if I had to do a miracle, what would have been my first response? Hey guys, hey guys, mom, go inside, find the best of the pots. If you have got, got some gold pots and silver pots, some glass pots, bring it all. Because we are going to what? Change water into? So let's, be, let, let's keep it in what? In the best of the jars. In the best of the jars. But that's not what they Jesus' eyes went to what? His eyes went to six stone jars that were outside. Outside. The purpose is done. They're already spent, isn't it? They're already spent. Their use is almost done. It is in that moment, church, his glory comes. When you and I think that my life is over, there is no point, you know? It is in those moments when you and I even don't see, when others may not rec recognize, others may not regard, but there is a heaven that sees you and me. Jesus saw the stick stone jars because he knows that today is the day of salvation for this house. A willing, willingly obeying servants, willingly obeying servants. You know, when I read the story, the servants come out so powerfully. Why? Because they are the least of the menial servants in the house. And the beauty of it is this. Then Jesus told them another important thing. Not only they were, they were just drawing water, they filled it to the brim. Now he says to them what? Draw some and take you to the... Isn't it? Jesus, it's good enough that you told us to draw water. That is good. We did that. But take it to the banquet master, the wedding planner, in our terms. If Sastaji would have been there. Man, what do you think who you are? Who do you think you are? Church, that's where there is a willingness to serve. You're not just obedient alone, but there is a boldness and a courage. And they took the water to the banquet master. They knew, they knew who had spoken. They knew who had spoken. And they were able to see the glory of God. This morning, church, if we are willing to invite Jesus, sometimes we need to invite him into our own lives. Sometimes we need to invite him to our own home situations. Sometimes we have to invite him into the current conditions of life that we are going through. We may have to invite his presence and say, Lord, we cannot do anything about this, but we know that you can change the circumstances. He's willing to reveal his glory. And when his glory is revealed, he will cover our shame. He will cover our shame. Not only he will cover our shame, he will reveal that he is almighty. Church, can we stand to our feet this morning? And this is a God that you and I serve. A God who is, 
who is merciful, a God who is mighty, a God who is more than enough. I want to tell you this, this thing as you go back home, reread the story again to yourself. Reread the story again. The scripture says, and the disciples believed in him. Even this morning, even this morning, as this gospel is being preached, if you continue to believe that Jesus is more than enough, add this with John 20, 31. Not only that we can believe in him. You know, the Greek tense of the verb is air is subjunctive. One time you have believed, but that one time belief is good enough for you because its effect continues to bear fruit. You believe one time, but it continues to bear, it has effect even in the days to come. This morning church, that's the privilege that you and I have to serve and to believe in Jesus Christ. Where is your faith in Jesus this morning? Do we want to see the glory of God revealed in your circumstance? If that be sure, let's invite his presence. Lord, we are utterly, utterly inadequate to face the situation that we are. But you can do something about it. Let's, let's continue to worship God. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If there is anything we can do to continue equipping you in your pursuit to be like Jesus, then please do not hesitate to reach out to us on our website at metrochurch.us. Also, if you found today's message to be inspiring and informative, then please share it with your family and friends and leave a review on this podcast platform or on our website. Again, thank you for joining us. We are so grateful for you. Have a great week and God bless you and your family.